0: You know, we uh, took a short break from John 6. Although the Scripture reading this morning was from John 6, I did that mostly so that you could tie the message this morning directly to the text in John 6 where Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread that came down from heaven. He who eats this bread shall live Forever, or shall have eternal life. I want you to tie the message this morning from Exodus 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to Exodus 16 to that text. We're going to tie these two things together before we go back to John 6 next week. Jesus is the bread of heaven. There's really not a difficulty in tying these passages together because this is one of the places where Jesus directly ties Himself to an Old Testament image. Out of His own words, He makes this a type. The manna is a type of Christ. And the condition of the world in which the manna fell in the Old Testament in Exodus 16 and the condition of our world are very similar. We talked about that last week. The condition is that man is starving to death. Man lives in the wilderness of sin, separated from God. The fact is that God has put on display His mercy for the whole world to see, and yet the world is in a wilderness of sin, starving to death, longing for satisfaction that they cannot find. That's the condition of our world, and there's several instances in my life over the last months that have made this really real to me. I look at some conversations. I want to look at a couple of conversations, two or three conversations I've had, some in the last week, some in the last month, with people who are starving to death. A couple of months ago, after working out, I'm changing clothes and taking a shower, and I've, I'm putting on my clothes. To, get ready for the day and there's a young man sitting next to me and he's just gotten off the phone and you know how you can just tell somebody's just they, they've just gone as far as they can go they've, they've hit the end of their limit so to speak and so as I'm getting dressed I just turned to this I didn't know who he was I just turned to him and said man you're going to be alright and his response was of a man that's starving to death he said I don't know He said, my girlfriend's broken up with me. I don't have a place to live. She's kicking me out. I've got to pick my stuff up by this afternoon. I'm failing my classes. My mom and dad don't want to have anything to do with me. I don't know what to do. He's starving to death. He's in the wilderness. And he does not have God. And so his flesh and his spirit are literally starving for a connection to God. He wants something that he doesn't have and he doesn't even know what it is. He's just crying out. You've had these conversations with people, I'm sure. This is the condition of our world. I had a conversation just about uh, a week ago. Now, it's been about two weeks, I guess, now. Where I, I talked with a man who was just the opposite of this young man. He had what the world would call success. He had a good family, great job, paying his bills, saving money, successful in his job, but he was desperate. I picked up on it right away. You ever been around those people that no matter what they've done, there's always one more hill to conquer. It's never enough. They're not Satisfied. This is a condition of our world. Hungry. Starving. They're without God. They wear different clothes. They come from different neighborhoods. Different economic situations. Different relationships. But the basics of their life are the same. They need something. They know that they need something. And they can't find it. They can't find it in poverty. They can't find it in wealth. They can't find it with no friends they can't find it with all of their friends. they can't find it with good family they can't find it with a terrible family. they can't find it with a successful career they can't find it when they don't have a career. They are lost in the wilderness and hungry. You might have met a few people like this had a conversation with a guy this week actually, who then just a just another you know just another uh, example of people that are hungry in our world. And they live right here in Jacksonville, right here in Calhoun County. He has a family, again, a family. He has a pretty good job. And uh, I was walking our children down the road, and his children were playing, and uh, walked up there and to the fence. He was in his backyard, and we just started carrying on conversation. He lives a couple of streets over from me. And it, you can just sense something's missing. He's just longing for an answer that he can't find. He's in a wilderness. He's starving. And for this guy, it came in the form of, he, did, he, he was doing everything right. And yet everything in his life seemed to be falling, crumbling. He, he actually said to me, you know, I've, I've been in church all my life. My granddad took me to church when I was a kid. I, since I've been married, I've gone to church pretty regularly. I've tried to do right. But I'm not, I, I don't know. Something's wrong. Something's missing. My life doesn't look like other people's lives. Starving. Hungry. And you can starve two ways, can't you? You can starve from a lack of food... And you can starve from not recognizing food when it's right close to you. Nobody in America starves because there's no food. We have more food than any country in the world. But there's people that are starving to death physically because they don't recognize how to get food or they don't make themselves available to the resources there. Same way spiritually. America is not starving from a lack of gospel. The gospel has been preached since the founding of this country over 300 years ago. And yet, people are starving emotionally, spiritually, relationally. They're missing something. They're longing for it. And they can't find it. Some of you are that way today. You've showed up to this place. You've got on the happy face. But inside, you're missing something. Your family's sitting next to you. You got pretty good success at work. It's just not, something's just not right. This was the condition of Israel in the wilderness. They've been delivered by God from Egypt. They should be happy people. They're free. And yet something's missing. It's this picture that Jesus draws a direct link to Himself with. This picture in Exodus 16 is the one Jesus chooses to teach the people in John 6 and to teach us about bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread from heaven. Not the bread which your fathers ate in the wilderness and died. He who eats this bread will have eternal life. Latest poll numbers that come out. I mean, they just keep bombarding us with these poll numbers. Do you realize that more than 60% of the people that live in the United States are pessimistic about their circumstances? Pessimistic. Does that make any sense? Physically, it makes no sense. This is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. Our poor people are wealthy by worldly standards. Where does the discontent come from? Is it physical? Are more than 60% of the people in this world spiritually starving to death? And no matter what they gain physically, no matter what bread they have on their table, no matter how fine a restaurant they ate at last night, and how happy they seem to be on the outside, internally, they're pessimistic because they're starving to death spiritually. Nothing satisfies them. You see, the people of Israel left Egypt wealthy. The account is that they left with herds and flocks, with cheese, with the fine drink, curds. They left with everything Egypt had to offer. And less than three months later, they're starving to death. That strikes me as the condition of our world. It doesn't matter how wealthy our nation becomes until Christ rules in the hearts of individuals, the numbers will continue to come back unsatisfied, no contentment, displeased, and feeling desperate, feeling a sense of insecurity. No matter what we provide physically, spiritually, if their needs are not met, they will come back wanting more, starving to death. And so, the condition in Exodus 16... Is very similar to our condition. It's very similar to the John 6 condition. The nation of Israel, the Pharisees in Jesus' day are starving to death. And it's to these people that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus would say to the Gallup poll, Discontentment is your lot in life without me. You can be the wealthiest nation in the world without me. You'll never be satisfied. You'll eat the bread and die. That would be, I think, our condition. So, we see our condition. We laid it out, the depravity of man last week. I want to, I think because it's helpful, I think it's best for us to go and connect the direct lines between manna in Exodus 16 and Jesus Christ. Because I think this picture is so... uh, So meaningful for our day. It's meaningful for you. It really makes Exodus 16 come to life. So let's look at the parallels here. The things that are in Exodus 16 that would point us to Jesus Christ. Well, we see first of all that manna was given to the unbelieving people of Israel. Look in verse 3 of chapter 16. And the people of Israel said to them... Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Slavery is what they're describing here by saying they sat by the meat pots and had bread to the full. Slavery. The Bible tells us the condition in Egypt had become so bad for the children of Israel, that they were forced to work night and day, make mortar with no straw, and build massive structures for the glory of Egypt. And they worked night and day. The fires never went out. There was a day shift and a night shift. They didn't sit by meat pots and eat bread to the full But what they're expressing in this passage, Exodus 16, 3, is the condition that our world is in, unbelieving. Anything would be better than what we have with God. Anything. That's the response of the world to the gospel. It's foolishness. We've come to the wilderness. You want us to go into the wilderness? We're in Egypt. we got food. Why would we want to go in the wilderness? Unbelief. They they are unbelieving. It's no different than our day. We are unbelieving. God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt by ten plagues that He performed before their very eyes. Things that could not be explained except miraculously. God did this. He sent the plagues and the last was the worst of all. It, the firstborn in Egypt died. Every firstborn in Egypt. Both of the herd and of their households passed away. Imagine that going on around you. The stench of death rising up, and you're spared not because of you, but because you followed the promise. Put blood over the doorpost, eat the lamb, and you will live. Everyone in your household will live. And they watched this happen. Can you imagine being an Israelite woman with your firstborn in your arms as you start to hear the Egyptian women wail and mourn for their dead children. And yet, that terror of death surrounds you, and God delivers. God makes good on His promise. Not only good by saving your children, but the people of Egypt kicked the Israelites out. They not only kicked them out, which sets them free from slavery, they give them the riches of Egypt. They came to Egypt with nothing. Seventy people. And they left over two million strong with the wealth of Egypt in their hands. And it's these people who are saying in the wilderness, we're better off in Egypt eating meat and bread to the full. Unbelief. Unbelief. Not only did He deliver them from Egypt, but He led them through the wilderness by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud in the day. Can you imagine God is the tour guide. They don't need a road map. Jehovah is leading them. And they get to the Red Sea, which would seem to be impassable, and the army's pressing behind them. And what does God do? He splits the water. They cross on dry land. The cloud moves back and confuses the Egyptian army for days. While two and a half million people, at least two and a half million, cross on dry land. They get to the other side. God lets the cloud up in this army. The mightiest army in the world is swamped by water and drowns to death. These are the people in Exodus 16. They saw it with their own eyes. They experienced it. It was happening all around them. And yet, in the wilderness now, they say, you brought us out here to die. We're going to starve to death in this wilderness. We'd be better off in Egypt. They had God at the head, leading them out of Egypt, crushing their enemies. Everything God had promised was true. There was one promise left. When my people leave Egypt, they'll worship me on the mount. Mount Sinai was where they were headed. God had told them that they would stand on that mountain and worship Him. God had fulfilled every promise that He had made to them. And yet they didn't believe Him. Why? Because they think they're going to die in the wilderness. They don't think they're going to make it to Mount Sinai. Unbelieving. Their response to Him was unbelief. It was grumbling. Just like in John 6, there was grumbling and unbelief. And yet I say this has been our response as as a world, as a people, to Christ. Jesus... Came to unbelieving people. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Listen to the words of John and see if it doesn't sound like these people in Exodus. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people rejected him. They rejected him. God sent manna to people who were unbelieving and he sent Christ to people who were unbelieving. And there are unbelieving people, not just in Exodus and not just in John, but there's unbelieving people in this room as I preach this Word. And in your heart you say, I would rather live my life secure by the world's standards than to risk it all and know Jesus Christ. What you're asking me to do, Pastor, is surrendering my life and walking with Christ... It's too much to pay. I can't bear it. I won't do it. Your response is not novel. Neither does it catch God off guard. This is the response of the people through the ages to God's offer and God's giving of grace. The people in Israel responded this way to God's deliverance and God's grace. The people in Jesus' day responded to Him. His own people did not receive Him. And we are no different in our day. Jesus is still the stumbling block that was laid. Jesus is the stumbling block. Jesus is the cause of their unbelief, in a sense. They reject Him. Not only is manna given to unbelieving people, but we see in verse 10 of chapter 16 that manna was given and the glory of God appeared. Look at the verse there in 16. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. This is the first time in the Scriptures that the glory of the Lord appears to anybody. He appeared in a cloud in the wilderness. The glory of God, the Shekinah of heaven, visible to the people for the very first time in the history of the world. The manna came to unbelieving people. And when the manna came, the glory of God appeared. Imagine that Israel is there in the wilderness. Be with them on their journey. They've seen all these miraculous signs that they've never seen God. And now God says, in response to their unbelief, here's my glory. You won't believe all these signs, so I'll show you myself. Here's my glory. Look on it. And our Bible tells us in John that when Jesus came, the glory of the Lord appeared. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only Son of God. Mark 9 says that when they went up on the mountain to see the transfiguration, that the disciples saw the glory of Christ that His raiment, His garments were changed spotless and white, so white that no one could have cleaned them on the world. No soap on the face of the earth could have made them look this way. He was shining with the glory of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The manna came with the glory of God, and Jesus, when He came, exhibited the glory of God to unbelieving people in revelations in revelation 19 we see that this glory will come again with Christ on the last day the glory of God was present with the manna and it is present in Christ and the response is unbelief There's nothing in the text that says the people began to trust God any more than they had before they saw the glory of God. They were unmoved, still unbelieving. And their actions later in Exodus are going to prove that they're unbelieving. Aren't these the same men and women and children who died in the wilderness because they wouldn't believe God and take the promised land? The response of man is rejection and unbelief and the response of God is mercy and grace and displaying Himself time and time again because He is patient. He's long-suffering. His mercy is new every morning. He's faithful. This is our God. This is our Christ. The bread of heaven. Manna was given from heaven. I've said that, but I want to show it to you in the text. The Lord said in verse 4 of chapter 16, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Not rain brimstone, not rain judgment, as we talked about last week. He rained grace. He rained bread. They deserve to be wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. And their and their name to never be on the face of the earth again. That's what they deserve. But what God gave them is grace. He rained down bread from heaven, and this bread was all satisfying. It met all of their needs. Their physical hunger was satisfied. They ate the bread, and they were full. Jesus came from heaven. Also, John chapter one verse one says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And verse 14 says, That word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John 6, Jesus said in 6 32 through 33, I have come down from the Father. And that's what the that that that, that's the not only did the manna come from heaven and satisfy, but Christ comes from heaven. And he alone satisfies. I've described to you a world of unbelief, a group, some in this room, all in our community of people who are hungry and dying of starvation. They need something, they're longing for it, they're working for it. And he's the only one who satisfies, he's the bread of life, he's the only hope. Manna was given as a free gift from God. In verses 4, 8, and 15, the Bible tells us that God gave the manna freely. They didn't work for it. They didn't grow it. They didn't earn it. They did nothing to deserve it. They're unbelieving, stiff-necked people. And yet God has given them a free gift. The man is a free gift. It comes down from heaven to the unbelieving people. Jesus is a free gift from God. John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Gave. God gave his only Son. Jesus is a gift. He's not earned. Romans 6:23 The wages of sin is death, the wages of unbelief is death, but the free gift of God is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 10:9 through 10 says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You will receive The gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're in an unbelieving, stiff-necked position, and yet God loves you. And He gives you a gift. A gift that satisfies your hunger. A gift that came from heaven. A gift that is... All satisfying. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride. Listen to this. Say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You're hungry, thirsty, longing for fulfillment, for something. You know it's missing, but you don't know where it is, what it is. And I say it's Christ. And so your first response is, I'll pay for it. Anything this good must be paid for. And I say it's free. Come and buy with no price. The water with no price. The bread that has no price. Jesus is a gift from God. Manna was gathered by every person in the the camp. In verse 16, Moses writes for us that God said, Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. Each one of you must gather it. In, In Israel, in Exodus 16, nobody could send somebody else to get manna for them. They all had to go gather their own bread. They're all forced to go out, each one, to gather what they needed. Jesus must be received also by individuals. You must accept Him. You must believe in Him. And Jesus says this in John 6, verse 47. Look at verse 47 in John 6. Truly I say to you, whoever, whoever believes in it has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your Father ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. One may eat of it. Whoever, all of these words about individuals believing, accepting Christ, eating the bread which came down from heaven. Salvation is an individual process. The manna that they ate, they gathered and ate as individuals. And salvation comes to you as an individual. Christ comes to you. He must be accepted by you personally. Manna was gathered on a daily basis. And it only satisfied for their daily needs and wants. Anything that was left over, the Bible tells us in Exodus 20 and 21, it turned to worms. It stank. The next day it was no good. It was only grace for today. It only met their hunger for today. It only, not only was it for individuals, but it only met individual needs one day at a time. Jesus also is our daily bread. We sang great is thy faithfulness this morning. That comes from Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to Jeremiah when he says in verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then he closes in verse 24 with, A statement about the bread of life. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is my portion. Manna was given on a daily basis to meet their daily needs. And Christ is given the same way. Communion with Him should be new every day. His mercies are new every morning. And i got to tell you, many of you Christians in this room, for the most part, this message has been geared towards the parallels between lost men and receiving Christ. But I just want to say to you, the deadness you feel in your spiritual life occurs because you're trying to live off 20 years ago. The grace of God is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. There's no such thing as a believer who salvation is past tense. Some of you come here and you're unchanged, unmoved from years that have gone by. Nothing's changed. Very static. And to you that comes across as only just, you know, it's just the way everybody is. We just all kind of settle in and we're just kind of the same and That's just the way Christianity is. No. That's false faith. Faith is not static. Faith grows. Grace is not left over from yesterday. It's new every morning. Mercy is not left over from yesterday. It's new every day. John 6.51. It's interesting to me. Jesus said, He who eats this bread. That word eats is an aorist verb, which means it started in the past and it continues throughout into the present. It continues. It's continual action. See, some of you describe yourself as a Christian because 15 years ago, you had an experience. And it lasted for maybe a day or week or month. And that's your Christian story. Our culture is full of these people. That guy I was talking to across the fence, that's his story. I had an experience about 15 years ago. I've lived as good as I can. I've gone to church. I don't understand why I'm not not having the kind of life that I expected as a Christian. What's wrong with me? What's wrong is he has no connection to Christ today. He's not eating Christ's bread today. The manna lasted as long as the morning dew was on the ground. When the morning dew went away, the manna lasted until the heat of the day and then it melted away. It was gone. And it was new every morning. Every morning there were new manna on the ground for 40 years. And as miraculous as that seems, I wonder how many of us are trying to live off of Manna collected years ago. Your testimony is not about a life with Christ. Your testimony is about a decision for Christ. You're living off yesterday's grace. There's no communion with Him today. Matthew 7 says these people will be cast away from Christ on that day. Because He doesn't know them. See, Jesus is not manna. Jesus is greater than manna. Jesus is not bread. He's eternal life. One final parallel. Manna was only helpful to those who would eat it. And Jesus is only helpful eternally for those who believe. It's not enough that you come here. It's not enough that you're a good person. It's not even enough that you had an experience. It's not enough. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says when the manna fell, it fell in the camp of Israel to the doorstep of their tents piled up right outside their door for an Israelite to get out their door they had to pick up manna now they could either pick it up or they could walk on it God's grace had been given their provisions were there But if an Israelite got up every morning and walked on about his business and didn't gather manna, he starved to death. God didn't force him to eat it. He gave it to his doorstep. Jesus Christ came from heaven like the manna, but unlike the manna, He satisfies not a physical hunger but a spiritual hunger. But He does you no good unless you believe. He's at your doorstep and this morning He's saying come. This morning He's saying believe. This morning He's saying eat with me and live for eternity. And yet, you can, in your unbelief, walk past that. And Christian, every morning he says, have grace today. Have my mercy today. But you can walk past it. And what's the difference? It's the taste for manna, right? The Israelites get tired of manna. They want something different, exotic, something new. And yet the Bible says the angel's food. Sweeter than honey. Perfect. Christ is sweet to the taste of those who believe. But if you're here today and you don't believe, you walk right past Him every day, and to you He means nothing wasteful bread can I have something else it comes down to your taste doesn't it and the reality is that some of you have a taste for Christ and some of you don't and see I could put Christ literally in physical form in front of you if you don't have a taste for him and you'll reject him God's not going to make those who don't have a taste for him eat him. They'll be left to an eternal separation and death. So if you're here today and you have a taste for him, then I say to you, come and eat because it's free. You can't earn it, it's perfect, it came from heaven. It's ready. It's here. It's available. And if you're a Christian, I say to you, where where are you? What are you living on? Yesterday's wormy, rotten, stinking manna or have you gone today and collected fresh manna? New communion. I can't answer those questions can draw the parallels but in the end it will be between you and the Lord I can only ask I can't answer and all I'm asking you is this if you're here and you're lost why would you not eat him why would you not believe in him why would you not accept him you're hungry and I'm telling you from personal experience he's all that satisfies and save person I've lived And I still live where you are. And my personal uh, life proves the Scriptures true. His mercies are new every morning. The only question is, will I have it or not? Will I have His grace today or not? I want to leave those with you. I want to let you ponder those things. Next week, we want to come back here and look at the text in John specifically. As we close out this look at manna, the bread of heaven, and Christ, the bread from heaven. Let's see. Let's pray together. Father, we long to feed on Jesus Christ. I'm well aware there are those in this room who have no taste for You, Jesus. And all I can do is ask, plead, beg, Give them a hunger. Give them a taste for you. And there are Christians here. There are people here who claim to be Christians, Father, that are trying to live off a store from years past. And the Christian life is dull and boring and bland. I'm asking you today, to take this word, your word, and plant it in their heart and give them a hunger, a fresh hunger for you. In the end, you are the one who is decisive in these things. We cannot make people believe you can, and I'm asking you to. And God, I pray that we would live in such a way that the world would hunger for what we have. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.